This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another episode of Sox Degrees and another great broadcaster with us. Gordon Beckham in his second season as an announcer after nine seasons on the Major League Baseball Diamond. Uh, Hi, buddy. Hi, friend. We've spent a lot of time together over the past couple of days. I don't know when this is going to air, but um, we've spent a lot of time together. And I just want to know how you feel as announcer Gordon Beckham. How do I feel as announcer Gordon Beckham? Yeah, instead of player Gordon Beckham. There's got to be another part of your brain that goes into announcer mode. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think I should probably be treating the announcing kind of like I did as a player and take it way too seriously because when I don't, I say things like I have in the last couple of days with people's pants down and talking about other things that might not be kosher uh, on, on air. <laughs> well, I would say you did set the record for use of the word load the other day in a, in a short amount of time. I, uh, I realized after the fact there was a lot of loads used um, over the course of an interaction we had talking about how we get ready to hit a pitcher. Um, and Twitter let me know. And I think that that's the point of Twitter is just to really call you out when you're not exactly thinking. But uh, overall, I'm having fun. I, I like working with you. Oh, thanks. I want to get the all in there. Yeah, Gordon loves laundry. That's why he was talking about loads so much. <laughs> exactly. I do a lot. I, I do a lot of that at home. I'm, I'm a big helper around the house. Just ask my wife, Brittany. She'll, she'll tell you. So that sounds, Len, to me, like Gordon literally does nothing. And he just sits on, like, the porch swing. Is that what's happening? If we had a porch swing, yes. Uh, no, I, I think we all help out. I mean, listen, if my kid's not, like, damaging a wall, I'm in good shape. Has Jet has Jet heard a wall recently? He started to realize that he can take his little cars and instead of just putting them on the the floor and rolling them, he started to put them on the wall and and you know oh I can go sideways on the wall and so that that to me is like a, a major red flag moving into his two year old year because I think now he's like okay I can go three D with this you know I don't just have to be on the ground I can actually you know do some wall jumps with uh, with the cars and. If he starts getting, he's starting to get into chalk. So now he's starting to draw on the, like, you know, on the driveway. You know, you just see where this is going. So I got to go back to the broadcasting thing for a second, because I think as people get to learn your personality, you might get some of those tweets on, you know, dude, what are you talking about? But I also think that as they get to know you better, those are the things that become essential uh, that you don't change and you don't excise out of your canon <laughs> because, oh, you like that. I We've did. been playing a lot of Samantha, yes. Have, yeah. No, but I think the bottom line, especially in Chicago, but I think any really good broadcaster who lasts for any period of time, you have to be yourself. And if you edit yourself too much and you're not natural in your delivery, I, you become too generic. So don't lose that. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I totally hear what you're saying. I think personally, I just want to be uniquely myself. And the way that I think about calling game is uh, calling a game is like if you, if we were sitting on the bench together, we were all not playing that night and y'all were two young guys, I would be call, talking, how I'm talking right here is how I would be talking if I was trying to teach you the game you being young guys like and so that's not always going to be real buttoned up it might be me throwing a jab or a rib at 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 my teammate and being like you know like this is what you should do remember that like the other day when you really screwed that up you know like so like that's all kind of part of it for me I like I like I used to towards the end of my career I like teaching about the game but at the same time like I feel like if I'm watching the game here and people are listening to me at home the only way for me to really like come through naturally is to talk how I would have if I was talking to my teammates. And so while I can't say everything that we would have said in the dugout, I can say the majority of it or at least tamper it down. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happens when you start this job, your first priority, which is correct, especially for a non-former player, is I want people to know that I know the game and I could do the mechanics of the job. That's essential. But that's the thing that every good announcer can do. But Jason and I talk all the time about what separates the good from the better than good. And that is that that extra thing, right? That it factor. How, how would you, Jason, define what that is? Yeah, I think I think it's about not having too many rules for yourself because then you box yourself in. I mean, that, here's what I here's what I love about you, Gordon. And it's a short list. Uh, <laughs> But hefty. Yeah, exactly. Each thing carries a lot of weight, it's, right? It's voluminous in nature. Um, I, we were talking the other day, Len, on the air about the Tigers team that he was on back in, in 2019, 19, yeah. right? Yeah. They were horrible at the end of the year. And Gordon was like walking behind Ron Gardenhire on the bench, mimicking everything Gardy was doing just to be like an energy guy and keep that up. And I have to say, we haven't uncorked it yet. But I know that if people on Twitter started giving Gordon suggestions of what musical artist to do the nationwide jingle as, he has an encyclopedia of those. I'm going to I'm going to hate you forever for just saying that. But, yeah, I probably could. But I mean, why? but see, that's the thing. Why hate me for that? Well, that's I, uniquely you. You just you just spouted off about being uniquely you and now you hate me for it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, that's a good point. I probably should be uniquely myself all the time. And uh, and yeah, I'm big, I like music, uh, mainly Creed and, uh, you know, whatever falls in that genre of music. Uh, anything that I can basically try to sing, but then like somehow taper off into an IE, you know, O or you uh, type of, you know, wow. yeah, you got it. You got it. Patrick, <laughs> me yeah. higher. Yeah. Sort of Any thing, sort right? of yeah at the end of it. That's 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 where I would go. But I, you know, I, I would love to do that. I think that we did it last year. I did a little creed on the jingle and everybody. I mean, some people got it. And then some people are like, what is going on? Like Steve has the most beautiful voice <laughs> ever. And you just ruined it. You you know, you just ruined it. Why don't you just go crawl under a rock? Well, any good bit on television, you almost have to have somebody who hates it. Yes. If everybody loves it, it's not good enough, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you saw what we're talking about when we got in the Uber last night as we're taping this. Last Kiss, the cover by Pearl Jam was on. And immediately, both of them, I mean, I think he started it. But that's the perfect song for you. Oh, 
that that is right down the middle for me. I mean, if I'm just going to light up the airwaves, that is it. I mean, obviously, uh, Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder, uh, couldn't get any better. What other bands are in that sort of grouping? Uh, you got uh, you got Pearl Jam, you got Creed, you got uh, Three Doors Down. Um, really, a lot of '90s bands. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know all the names of them, but any sort of '90s, I'm like, I'm in. I'm, I'm Collective cool. Soul. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Thank you. That's that's nice. Yeah. Anything like that. That's like all. They were all kind of singing the same stuff or like the same way, just different stuff. And I think that um, I, I would I would lean towards the '90s uh, for inspiration for the jingle, but I could go anywhere. Why did you retire? You look like you could still play. I'm really glad you asked that, and uh, because I could could not play, um, I just I, I've been thinking about what it would be like to take a first step on a ground ball to my right or left right now, and I literally think my body would break in half, and I. I think for the people that are listening to this that uh, wonder how hard it is to be a big league baseball player, like I'm in pretty good shape right now um, in terms of just living my life. But in, in terms of getting on to the field and actually being competitive, I mean, it is a million miles away from that. I mean, the fast twitch muscles that you have to have at a given, you know, at a, a given time out on the field is just it, it, no. Even even people that are lifting a lot and getting really strong in the gym, it doesn't even it doesn't translate. Like you have to do quick twitch movements for it to translate, you know. And it's all small movements that you don't even know that you're doing when you're doing it every day. Um, and it's kind of a convoluted answer, but the answer is I could not play. I but I retire because the Mets basically told me they wanted me to go to Brooklyn. Um, in the middle of a pandemic and I just had my son jet and I didn't really want to be in a small apartment building in Brooklyn, uh, in the middle of a pandemic not being able to go out and enjoy, uh, Brooklyn and enjoy that, uh, with a wife and a newborn. I just thought that that would be pretty miserable. Um, and so that, that propelled me to do it. But at the same time, I was kind of ready, um, the as we talked about 2019 was really tough for me uh in terms of the tigers we were not good uh i was supposed to be the veteran presence like uh jason was saying kind of the energy guy and it was exhausting um i didn't get over that game or that season till like after christmas i got i was getting ready for the next year because i wanted to play again i wanted to try to get 10 years i showed up with the padres um didn't have a lot of a chance to make that team i don't think and then I struggled in spring, did not hit well. Uh, I, I hurt my hamstring. And, and when the pandemic, you know, began, they just said, hey, we're going to let you go. We're only keeping the people that um, are having a chance to make the team in San Diego, et cetera. Um, and so I just was like, OK, well, I hope I get another chance to play because that didn't feel good going off the field, not playing well at all. And then the Mets called on day one of when they opened up the, the free agent for the second spring training, and I, I immediately jumped at that. And I went up there and I played pretty well. Uh, I, I did what I was capable of doing. I knew I was out there on the field. I had some. I hit the ball hard and scrimmages. Uh, I just I don't. I think I was just to the point where I was like I'm over being kind of an afterthought and like a guy that's just going to be 
there if somebody gets hurt or sick. And I just was like, I don't really like I love the game. I love talking about the game. I love being around the game. I don't love the politics of the game. And I get it. Uh, I do get it. Um, but I just was ready to kind of start my next career um, and, and go back home and be a dad. I mean, that was super important to me. Always wanted a son. Uh, luckily for me, I'm going to have two now. And um, like that was a huge thing for me growing up. I have a great relationship with my dad and um, I always wanted that for, for me and my, my son. And now I get the chance to have it with, with multiple. So um, I'm super thrilled to be a dad and, and be in a new, new career. I'm really curious, you know, in terms of uh, the pandemic, you know, how many baseball careers ultimately did end? We'll never know if Buster Posey, your good friend, would still be playing uh, if not for the pandemic. And obviously he had family reasons why uh, he opted out in 2020. But there are probably a lot of names of guys that we'll look back on baseball reference to go, whatever happened to this guy? Like, it, it cuts off at 2019. I bet it's a lot. Yeah, I would, I would assume there's a lot of people that, you know, they were at the end of their career. And because of the time, uh, the timeline, you know, their careers just ended. I mean, talking to Buster about it, he just did not feel comfortable with his, um, he was adopting twins and uh, the girls did have some special uh, issues uh, with uh, the pregnancy and, and he wanted to be around for that. And I think that uh, knowing him, uh, I just, I, I really respect who he is as a person and Baseball doesn't define him, and I think that's a really beautiful thing about him. And I, I feel the same way. As, as much as I wanted baseball early on in my career to define who I was, I lived and died with it. And I think that everybody saw that when I was playing in Chicago because I wanted to be so good. I wanted to live up to everybody's expectations, but it was not healthy for me to want to do that. Like I, that, that it, it, it really grinded on me in a way that um, not a lot of people probably understood because I, I could stand up here and, and talk through an interview and act like everything's fine. But I was really grinding on myself and, and, and trying to be what everybody wanted me to be. And because of that, I just never was my, I never really truly be, became myself until later in my career. And by then it was just kind of too late to like do some sort of like magical turnaround, if you know what I mean. So um, I think a lot of people will, We'll look back, and there'll be a there'll be a real big cutoff right there for a lot of great players. Yeah, as bad as the pandemic was, Jason, <clears throat> I do think the silver lining is a lot of people were able to find out who they really are and what defines them. Yeah, I, I wish I would have done that. The, um... <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The thing that I'm fascinated about with you, Gordon, is that this game that you describe it like kind of eating you alive a little bit mentally and here you are like to still love a thing that drove you so up the wall sometimes where, where does that come from yeah, that's a good question I, I think that you know this kind of gets down to like personally like where I got to like I I, I think by the time I left Chicago and in, in, uh 14 and 15 I left for getting traded, then came back and then left after the 15th season. Uh, I, I think that 
at that point, I was starting to change kind of person, personally, like away from the game, who I was and how I define myself. Part of that was my faith. I, I really got, um, I hung out a lot with Adam LaRoche and I really picked his brain in 2015. And that was something really important to me. Um, I've always been been drawn to to faith. Um, I don't like saying religious because I just think that that's weird. Um, it's just, I, you know, I want to have a, a, a relationship with my creator. And I started to kind of uh, get closer to that. And because I did, I started to forgive myself a little bit for all of the things that I thought I needed to be. And I started to realize, like, you know what, like, I am perfect. I am perfect no matter what I am. And I was made to be 100 percent Gordon, and you need to be okay with that. And I think through my faith, um, it allowed me to be okay with that. And I, so I started to like kind of take, um, take that and run with it. And because I did, that's why I can sit in, I can sit in front of you here and talk about a game as if I love the game when I, it was really, it was eating me alive. I mean, when I left Chicago, I was so beat down mentally, uh, mentally from trying so hard and, and wanting to meet those expectations that I, I didn't love the game. I didn't. I didn't want to play. It wasn't like. Uh, it wasn't one of those things where I was excited about playing the baseball uh, game. I was like, kind of grinding all the time. Uh, and I went to Atlanta and I played real well for a half of a season and just kind of lost track. And it, same kind of thing. Like so, it was constantly there. But uh, I just think that the the more I the deeper I got in my faith, the more I realized like. Other people's expectations of me is is really unimportant, and I think that I I, I was perfectly okay with that. Um, and my faith, Brittany, it was a huge also reason for that. And I mean, her dad Scott Fletcher was obviously a great player, and Brittany mainly, but her dad also um, made me understand that I I am a good player. I can still do this. And so then I went to the minor leagues, and I was like, okay, I'm going to grind my way back. And I worked. I didn't have a good 2017 season in the minor leagues. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to change something. If I want to do this again, I need to change something. And so I worked literally all off season with Scott Fletcher um, on my swing. And that next year I was up and down the minors uh, with Seattle, but I, I raked in, in, and it was like, wow, this is fun. You know? Um, I mean, defense was never a problem for me. I was always making good plays, but offensively I was like, just that's where the grind kind of was. Right. And, um, I got back to the big leagues. I made the Tigers in 2019 when I had zero chance of making that team. And I impacted that team very well for uh, a couple months being, I mean, I was leading the team in homers. I don't know if that's saying a lot for like a month and a half, um, but I was hitting the ball hard and I was doing really good things. I popped something in um, my back, which really kind of hampered me. And I didn't tell anybody about it. Cause I knew if I got on the DL or IL, I, they probably would have let me go. Um, and so I kind of grinded through that through the whole year. Um, and my numbers went down. Um, but I, I, I sit up here and I'm like, I enjoy the nuance of the game because I know how hard it is. I know what these guys are going through. I know what the best are going through and they're grinding through it. And I wasn't one of the best. I know what they're going through. I know what the last guy on the roster is thinking through like, Hey, are they going to send me down? I've been in a lot of different situations so I can understand where people are mentally. Um, and I, it's a lot easier to love something when you get away from it. Um, and I love, I always love the grind with baseball football. I played in high school and I was naturally gifted. Um, I don't know why that was, but I didn't have the size to really, you know, be somebody that was going to be playing at on an sec school. Um, and I just, 
but baseball was always fun for me because it was like, okay, I can get better at this the more I play it. And I really did. I didn't get drafted out of high school, and then I was the eighth pick overall when I left Georgia. So it was like this really huge progression um, only because I just, you know, poured myself into working hard um, and, and ended up getting there. I have a weird <clears throat> kind of nuanced question, and it's probably easier for you to answer this looking back. Toward the end of your career, when you had those stints in the minor leagues and you had, you know, you'd made some money in the big leagues, so you weren't still, you know, in that mode of, you know, I want to make a career out of this. You'd already made it a, a career. But now that you look back and it probably didn't hit you at the moment, were there stretches in the minor leagues where you were around good guys and you were, as you say, raking and playing good baseball and maybe your team had had a really good week where you can look back now and go, that actually was a lot of fun as opposed to I'm 0 for 20 at the big league level and I'm not playing a whole lot and I'm really overwhelmed mentally. Can you look back now and go, I probably should have enjoyed that week I had at AAA where things were going well, even though at the time your thought process was I need to get back to the big leagues. I think that I think the only reason I made it back to the big leagues is because I went through that. You know, I think that like being I'll never forget Daniel Vogelback, who's like I call him my son. My Brittany and me love this kid. Um, he, I walk in there the first day in 2017 and he was like, why are you here? And I go, what do you mean? Like, I'm 30 years old. And, and he goes, no, why are you here? Haven't you made like 15 million dollars? And I go, yeah, but I'm 30 years old. What am I supposed to do? You want me to just retire? And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> and and Vogie just uh, laying it all out on the table. But uh, those moments with those guys and, and being able to kind of pour into them. And I think for some of those guys seeing me grind it out like that, it probably inspired them to kind of keep going in a lot of ways because there's so many guys that are looking like at me, like, why would he be here? And I was like, it wasn't about the money. It's not about, it's about how do I, how do I beat something that was beating me? And I think that over time and me really pouring myself into the game, uh, especially for that 2018 season, um, it, it was super fulfilling. Um, and now granted, if you ask me that at 3.30 in the morning when we're leaving Tacoma Airport uh, to go to uh, Salt Lake City or Sacramento or those are the easy flights. I mean, we had to go to El Paso and we would be leaving. I'd be getting up at 2 a.m. from Tacoma so that we could get to an El Paso. We would fly in and play that night. And I remember thinking so many times, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I even trying to do this anymore? Like this, this is ridiculous. And it was kind of in those moments where I, I, I continued to find myself and be okay with myself. And it was, I, I was never, I'm never, obviously everybody listens to me. I'm, I'm okay you know, picking at myself. I like to point fun or, you know, you know, make fun of myself in a lot of ways. And I don't say that because I'm just like, Oh, I'm down. I'm down. It's just because I get it. It's like, this is a, this game is so hard and I like making fun of myself. I think that that's what we do in the clubhouse. You just make fun of each other left and right. But uh, yeah, AAA was, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a trying time, but it also, it revealed a lot about who I was. And I actually was happy about who I was. What did they call you in AAA? Salt Lake City. Why did they do that? I think everybody can understand that. So, uh, so salty. I was that salty veteran, and there were times like what I'm talking about when we were waking up at 3 a.m. to get on a connecting flight from Tacoma to Salt Lake to go into El Paso or Albuquerque. I mean, it just. I got salty. I was salty. I was pissed. I was like, I was in your eye right now. <laughs> you're reliving it. Oh. You're like on that flight right now in 22 F. Yeah. It, I mean, it just absolutely brutal. Um, 
I, I have nothing else to say about it. It just, it, it, it was a massive grind. Um, and, but it was fun, man. Those guys, there's so many guys that don't get the opportunity to play in the big leagues. And I never took it for granted after the time I was back in AAA. I came up so quick, I didn't even know what had happened. But I never took it for granted. And I could see these guys that had literally been playing for six or seven years that might never play one day in the big leagues. And they still loved the game or wanted to do well. And that to me was like also encouraging to me is that like this is this isn't just about getting to the big leagues and making money. It's like this is what I know. This is who I am. This is what I do. And I'm going to go do it. I might be doing it in front of 200 people in Tacoma tonight, but that's where I'm going to at least prove to myself that I can still do this. And then I ended up getting on Tiger's team. We were one of the worst in history, but I was there. You know, it's funny, uh, when Benetti writes the uh, memoir, uh, like, half the book's going to be minor league stories. More. Right? No, because those are the, those, no, that's not true. (laughs) Those are the most interesting stories. I feel like, in a lot of ways, we live in a fantasy world in the big leagues. I feel like the minor leagues is the real world. I think so. I was just thinking about uh, Mike Curdo, the voice of the Rainiers, coming up to you one of those days you land in El Paso, because we got to do it, too. We got to go find a pregame interview that day. And I can imagine him going up to you as the veteran and being like, hey, can I steal you for five minutes? And you were like, Mike, I just ate honey roasted peanuts next to the lavatory for five hours. Get the F away from me. <laughs> There's no doubt. Curdo, you, I, that's funny when you said that. I'm thinking like about that. And I think he was pretty good about not coming to me on stuff like that. But you know the craziest part about this? Jason Worth was playing on our team together and it was hilarious because I was like, Hey, you're going to be there at three 30 AM tomorrow. And he's like, excuse me, you know, for the flight. And he was like, uh, no. And he would just take a, his, he'd buy his own ticket, you know, like later in the day, later in yeah. the afternoon or whatever. And, and it was just so hilarious to watch him deal with the triple a thing. I like, but he was hilarious. Like, it was just, it was beautiful to see him do it too, because he was like, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And I watched him walk off the field, tear his hamstring last last time he ever walked off the field. It sucks. But, I mean, everybody does it. And he, did, he, he at least did it in the minor leagues because he wanted to keep going, you know. Um, he didn't have – he might have had some pride, but he wasn't above that pride to, like, still give it a shot, you know. And I watched him. He tore his – I could see it. He tore his hamstring going for a ball in left, left, left field and uh, walked off the field, and he was done. A couple more minutes with Gordon Beckham. Um, I got to do hours with him. I know. We will. We will. We will. But uh, it's, it's a half-hour show. It's one okay, of those okay, deals, right? Um, the one thing about you that I think in terms of your, quote, legacy with the White Sox, and I think this, you should be very proud of this, is everybody I talk to who knows you and knew you, they all say he's, he's maybe the nicest player I've ever met. He loves you. That, that has to feel good. Yeah. I mean, that feels good. I feel like um, I wish I had been more of a sometimes, you know? Um in a way. Uh, but listen, I, I think that it's so important how you carry yourself and how you treat people. I mean, that's just so important in life. And I think that that's very important to me. It's how I was raised. My dad and mom really made instilled in me like you treat people with respect. And I didn't always want to give respect there to people I would run into or talk to. But, um, you know, I, that, I that's that's a great legacy. And I'm, I'm happy to still be a part. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm happy to still be a part of the White Sox in a way because they they did like Jerry Reinsdorf. He's they stuck with me. Um, Rick Hahn, you know, Kenny Williams, all those guys stuck with me and and gave me chances. And now, granted, I, I became a really good second baseman. I mean, there's was, I wasn't just getting, you know, 
I wasn't charity up there. I mean, I was I was helping win games and I was a winning player. I just wasn't doing what I wanted to do with the bat. But um, the legacy, uh, if, if that's my legacy, I'm perfectly OK with that. So what I want to know, though, is and I don't need you to bury specific guys, but you know how to be a great teammate. We can tell that. We know that to your point, Len. I want to know what qualities are in a horrible teammate. Don't name names, but tell me, like, here's a list of things I hated in teammates and people around baseball hate in teammates. Uh, somebody being happy after they had a good game and we, we, we lost or, you know, that, that would piss me off. Um, somebody uh, did – and they would do that. Somebody did this. Uh, he got out in the first inning of the, of the game and went in the corner and cried. That was a grown man crying, and he, he played for the White Sox. Um, and that really annoyed me, too, because it's like it's the first inning. I know you're struggling, but, like, we've got a game to play here, and you have to play defense. So it was just like, like, clean it up. <laughs> um, but just generally uh, selfishness. I mean, like uh, that selfishness in terms of everybody wants to do well for themselves, but ultimately, like, it doesn't matter as much as winning. And I think that um, I was on a lot of teams that ended, ended up not really having a winning, uh, at least a playoff chance. And it's amazing how quickly people get selfish about what they want and how they want to, you know, go forward. And that selfishness, it, it, it kind of every, – every, like, story I could tell you about things that would make me mad probably stem for something like that. Um, is just not showing up and not wanting to be a good teammate, not wanting to uh, do everything they can to not only put themselves in the best position, but also uh, their teammates. I only have one more, and then I'll let you have the last word, Jason. You ever had a bad hair day? This, Brittany would probably say yes, and I'm going to get a picture for you guys, and I'll show you one. Um, I had a glass of wine uh, in the off season when I had my grunge look going i had the yeah i had the long hair going it was down to my shoulders and uh my i looked like my mom and it was just like as soon as i saw that picture i cut my hair like but yeah that was the only bad day only bad picture i've had the hair is solid um i'm hoping my my son jet does not have my hair and he's kind of let me down um because of that you know and i'm hoping number two will carry on the family legacy how long does it take to get your hair cut and uh how much does it cost? Uh, it takes like 20 minutes and it costs 35 bucks. Are you saying like you go to like Supercuts? No, I've got a guy in Atlanta. His name's Ryan. Uh, he's, he's cut my hair for probably seven, eight years. And um, he's super, it's super inconvenient where he's at. But I go over there once a month and a half, uh, depending on if I'm getting on air. I mean, I got to look good, um, you know, next to you. Well, somebody's got to raise the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, less than people think, you know, but product is important. It's just all about the product. So how do you uh, decide on what's a good product for you, Gordon Beckham? I listen to the hairdresser, uh, what he thinks, and it's generally a paste. And we could we could help you out. I I, I could I I could fix you up. I I don't know that I want to put paste in my hair. I got to say it's a paste. Like yeah. a glue, no, like an adhesive. It's just—it's it, not a paste. It's like—it's like—it's not gel. It's—it's it's yes. something in between gel and adhesive. You have a hair product phobia. What, I'm sensing. It's, just, it's like it gets sticky, and like I don't. 
It's that's like a the, lot of maintenance. That's, that's the what, point. It's amazing because all you have to do after that is wash your hands. Right, but like, I don't like shelling peanuts. I don't like anything, any food, like chicken on the bone. No, thank you. Like, I don't want to do the maintenance on it. Yeah, it's tough. You're not a big crab legs person. Well, they would. I have a shellfish thing, so they would actually be a murder they'd weapon. To, they'd have to wheel you out. That's right. Just like my wife. <laughs> She's got that too. Yeah. Y'all, y'all are shellfish together. My mom is too. Really? Yes. They, we were doing this game in Atlanta on Sunday. They delivered a burger upstairs for us to eat on the air. And I looked at the specs of it, and it was like, oh, fried egg, I can do that, like cheese, lobster tail. And I was, like, about to take a bite, and I said to the producer, yeah, if you want another play-by-play announcer, I'll eat this. <laughs> but, like, we're not doing that. My, my last question for you is, who crushed the spread hardest in White Sox land? Besides Hawk? <laughs> Gordon, thanks for the time. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Happy to be with you guys. Amazing.